0: Unfortunately, I think sometimes when you're really going for it in one category, it can be detrimental in other areas.
1: Hi there, I'm Kelly Tennant. This is Ceremony Wellness, where we integrate modern healing and ancient wisdom. After spending 13 years in a chronic health battle, I've made it my life's mission to support you on your healing journey. Each week, I gather with the leading voices in health, wellness, and spiritual development for rich conversations to help you heal deeply and create the life you've been longing for. My guests and I educate you on the latest healing remedies and alternatives to the traditional path. I've personally curated this space to elevate your mind, body, and spirit. Today's guest is someone that I admire and look up to greatly. Logan Gelbridge is the co-founder of Deuce Gym, and he created this incredible thing called the Hold the Standard Summit. And he is now, ladies and gentlemen, a published author of Going Right, A Logical Justification for Pursuing Your Dreams. Pursuing your dreams. It's something that he wholeheartedly believes in. And this book almost killed him. And we talk a lot about that. Going through a book process can be very difficult and very trying, and it'll bring up a lot of things. And he spent a long time writing this and formulating it and figuring out what it is he really wanted to share and getting rid of the noise to really get clear about his purpose and his message. And this book is so incredible. We talk through decision-making in this episode and our lives as former college athletes, leadership, And how we are leaders not only in work, but in relationship, communication, and how uncomfortable it is to really dive deep into the work. And sometimes it takes experiences that almost sink us for us to make the type of impact on the world that we want to. And Logan is a remarkable man who truly believes in setting an example and paving the way, even though he would never admit that in his all of his humility, but I'm saying it. He really does set the example for all of us and what we can be. So don't forget to find Logan at Functional Coach on Instagram and pick up a copy of Going Right today. Before we get to this episode with Logan, I just wanted to take a second to remind you about our incredible event coming up in October. Ceremony Wellness Live will be October 5th here in Los Angeles. To get your tickets, you can go to Kellytennant.com slash live. And for now, let's take a second to listen to my incredible friend Megan about her experience from our first event this year at Gather.
2: I've had the pleasure of knowing Kelly for many years now and am so excited for her on this journey and everything that she's doing for women, for herself, and this journey that she's helping so many of us on. I think that as a woman, being a part of this space is so important. Kelly does an incredible job. I promise you, I've never met anybody who is a better collaborator, supporter, an encourager that's a word fan Kelly she really is the epitome of everything that she represents every part of what she's trying to do in her intentions on you know really the fabric of who she is um I've been so lucky to be close to her she's been such an important mentor in my life uh oh my gosh I'm like gonna get emotional I'm just I'm just so appreciative of Kelly and this space because it's what I need too. This is a space where I need to heal. I want to learn more and Kelly's really giving women, myself, herself, the platform to be our best self and build a community like many of us have never had before. So very excited and thank you.
1: I actually didn't know until recently that you were a former college athlete, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. I would love to start with that because I don't know if you know, I wrote a book about athletes transitioning from sports into the real world.
0: I did know that. Oh,
1: great. (laughs) Um, But I'm curious as to how you felt in that transition. And so many of us go through an identity crisis. And I think that's one of the hardest things is redefining who you are, almost mourning the death of who you were and stepping into this new version of yourself and what that process was like for you.
0: Totally. So like most, I guess, high level athletes or are, are people that make it a certain distance in that thing, it becomes such a big part of your life mm-hmm. that leaving it or transitioning away almost becomes like exponentially more difficult the longer you're in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I played baseball in college and I was drafted after my senior year and played two seasons professionally. And I want to be clear about this because I'm a massive advocate for massive vulnerable pursuits, like not hedging. You know, a lot of people when they pretend to try their best, they use that as an excuse Mm -hmm. when things don't go well. So I'm I'm on team like plan A only. Okay. Yeah. And I was plan A. I'm on this planet to play major league baseball Mm -hmm. through and through. However, two things really helped me. And I should say that I'm explaining this from a position of someone who I believe objectively did pretty well with that transition. It didn't jack me up too much. And I would attribute it to two things. One is I made a deal with myself, like out loud to myself, (laughs) (laughs) that I was going to move about my career in such a way that whenever it was over, that I wouldn't have any re- regrets about that. Mm. you know. And that sounds like maybe cliche or corny, but I literally told myself, if this is over in a year, or if it's over in 15 years, you need to go about it in a way that you can literally just say, I did everything that I could. And that really helped. Mm. The other thing, and I'm just sort of realizing this in reverse, is like I said earlier I was never a, a plan B person you know it's it's like uh growing up any family friends or teachers would be like what do you want to be when you grow up and I said I'm going to play professional baseball and they w- they often wouldn't let me like lose eye contact with them until uh they gave me the the backup plan
1: mm-hmm.
0: well what if it doesn't work out you know and and I hated that because I wasn't genuine like I'm now I'm just making stuff up mm-hmm. you know and there is a difference between being committed to plan A and then also hedging against that thing and not giving your best. and what I did was I, I tried my very best and, and only lived by this plan A thing, but I also could imagine a life after the thing beforehand and not to like get super like heavy straight away on your show. No, I love but, this. are you kidding? But um, one of the most widely read books of all time is A Man Search for Meaning, mm-hmm. Viktor Frankl. And he's a Holocaust survivor. If the people who are listening haven't heard of it. Um, one of the observations that he made was people that were surviving these horrific conditions in concentration camps, they practiced a certain type of psychological behavior. And he noticed this when, when people put their hope on like a certain day in the future. Like, I know that we're getting out of here next May, May 1st. I have a hunch. I can just tell we're getting out. And they would they would kind of, you know, white knuckle it and hold on. And then when May 1st would come around, and if they weren't released, it would just crush these people's soul, right? And they would often wouldn't survive. You know, these people are malnutrition, the whole thing. And that's because the, the trauma period of their life they were only focused on the end of the trauma, right? The end of the experience. And the people who had success, in his eyes, were people who could imagine one day in the future, 50 years, I don't know, sometime outside of this thing where maybe they had a family and they had a house and it was peacetime. They didn't need to necessarily know the details, but they could picture that. So step outside of the Holocaust and get back to my simple ass <laughs> life. Uh, I could fully commit to my sport and the preparation of that sport, but I could see myself being an entrepreneur. I mean, maybe in my visions, I was like 40 or something. But I think a lot of athletes get themselves into trouble by focusing so hard on their craft, which they should do. But if they've never imagined a life without it, it's very jarring. Mm-hmm. You know, this happens in relationships, it happens all over the place in our life. And those two things really help me transition because i specifically remember when i got released from the from the padres it was sad for sure like i wasn't rooting for that day by any means but i was so calm it was so easy mm. because i felt so prepared to do the next thing and i felt like i had no regrets yeah.
1: yeah no it's an amazing point i don't think a lot of us think of ourselves in that way we don't think we have other values or things to offer the world or skill sets. Because oftentimes when you're a kid, especially if you're good at a sport young, no one ever asks you what you're good at or what you like to do. It's all about that sport. And were you having conversations with adults about who you were and what you had to offer and, oh, go try this thing or here's a hobby for you?
0: You know... Some of that came from me, some of that I think was observed from from others. you know when you play the the silly we actually did this. I think you know baseball players are idiots, and we have a lot of time on our hands, so yeah, you do. One, of the, <laughs> yeah, one of the things that, that went around one of the years was like trying to predict everyone's future, ah. you know, so it was like who is going to like be in jail, you know who's going to be a cop who's going to be a, uh, this that, the other thing, and I think I was voted like the entrepreneur or CEO thing I think people saw that right yeah. I just want to. Baseball, you know, but I also, this was modeled to me as well. You know, like this, this hasn't come from nowhere. You know, I, I definitely am very internally oriented. Mm-hmm. I don't really look to other people to compare a lot or, 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 or value myself in that way. But let's mm-hmm. be honest, this was modeled to me. Mm-hmm. The most successful people, the people who impacted the most people, uh, the most impressive people in my life growing up. Were entrepreneurs, and none of them graduated high school like crazy stuff, right? And these people uh, made something from nothing that changed a little part of the world. And so, it wasn't fully out of left field. I could I could see the power of this thing mm-hmm. of creating your own business. And you know, by the time I finished my sport, I knew with almost equal commitment to baseball that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know in what. But to me, it didn't... I felt like it didn't matter.
1: Yeah. So if you're sort of an inward person, would you consider yourself introverted?
0: The most. Yeah. When I take the test, it's like... The record, like the record skips off the edge, of yeah,
1: it. yeah, yeah, I feel you with that, uh, which is interesting being an athlete and an introvert because we can perform under pressure so well, and when I was reading your book, you talk about that like it's almost like you're made for that, but then it' it contradicts itself because it's like, wait, but i don't like to be with people, and I need to have my alone time, so that's interesting, so how does the introversion play in when you're an athlete, and then now in in the way you run your company and your brand and all the things you're doing?
0: You know, I, in reverse, observe my introversion, like trying to put a flag in the ground. <laughs> and, you know, after 6am waits, if I didn't have class straight away, I just, not calling it introversion or whatever, I would just find myself back at my place, like mm-hmm. in my room, you know? And that was me sort of like leaving a gnarly environment to like be by myself again. And, and... Uh, <laughs> If anyone from the University of San Diego baseball team is listening to this, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Because for four years, there was this, this joke, uh, and I'll, I'll say the figure of speech and then explain the story after, but it was night log, which is everybody telling me good night, uh, which started as this thing because I, uh, I'm like first to bed guy. Okay. Okay, So everybody's like partying downstairs. And then as soon as I would go upstairs, it would be like night log. You know, and everybody, of course, there's 11 people saying that. You know, they're just being (laughs) condescending. But of course, like any baseball joke, it just you know uh, degraded into the point where if I'm at the cafeteria and it's 11 a.m. and I stand up with my thing across the room, night look. You know, so yeah, there's like plenty of things around my life where I was seeking alone time. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing how much you sort of bear down to the system that you're in. And and I don't feel like I have a very positive relationship with, with my career. I don't feel like oppressed in that way necessarily. But being an athlete at that level, I mean, your life is running on a, a system with not a lot of room to be creative and like do your own thing, you know? Yeah. And I remember coming out of sport and being like, life is amazing. <laughs> we can like go anywhere. We like, go to like lunch. What's that about? You know? So true. Um, now it's it's really interesting because it's sort of hard to talk about this because I have this um, aversion to sounding like a like an ego maniac. But like I think we can all understand conceptually that as you become quote unquote more successful, you end up being responsible for more people, and more people are around you. And so I am in this place in my life that feels edgy to me, and I'm like up against the edge of my skill set to navigate that mm-hmm. right because i'm committed to being a good guy and a nice person solidly committed to that you know but i also need to at some point be committed to like these boundaries right and so this is a new thing for me where i need to really protect what makes me great you know and if i don't have time alone then i just can't perform mm-hmm. right and so that's what that's where i'm at now and it's it's definitely like one of the big projects or you know, are in our developmental language. It's like my edge. Right. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm working on.
1: How does that come out when you're in a leadership position and you're interacting with other people? And introverts tend to take on other people's energy as well and really feel what's happening in the room with the people they're interacting with. And how does how does that come out for you?
0: I mean, it's there every day. Yeah. You know, I just got back from the gym and I, I, you know, I have to be careful where I sort of place myself. And there's an interesting dynamic in my business because the location where this all goes down is not an office. The context is not a a place of work. It's everyone's happiest. It's Disneyland. It's the one hour of the day or the week or whatever that everything's amazing. And it's hard to like match people's energy in that way. And so... In sort of guarding my boundaries, I know that I need to do certain work away from there so that I can show up as a a helpful, productive person. but there's growing pains there, right because unless you own that and declare that and have awareness around that, then you put yourself in a tight spot, and uh you know I've definitely gone through a certain arc over you know almost ten years now of like this this company of I can run out of bullets, you know I really can. And the thing has scaled in in ways that you know my old operating system isn't really it's not really effective in that way you know there's three gyms now in this whole like online business, and just there's a couple, quite a few people involved in this thing right, and so I owe it to them to to sort my thing. Mm-hmm. We're all sorting our own story, yeah. yeah
1: do you feel how important is it? In a leadership role and what you're doing to have the accountability and people to keep you in check, so that you don't have to bear the brunt of that, especially being someone that's probably a little more sensitive to that.
0: Yeah, that's everything. I mean, I, we we define leadership in our in our culture so it's objective, and so we can name it when we see it and name deviations from it when we when we don't see it. And you used uh, a key word there, you know, leadership. You know, effective leadership is ultimately being accountable to the results that, by the way, are never fully in your control. Mm-hmm. And so but the finger kind of is pointed inward when you're in in leadership. We have created a, a culture that I think understands that conceptually and is sort of like a, a team of of leaders. And so this lubricates the kind of conversation that you're talking about because it doesn't feel like hierarchy there mm. right it doesn't feel like oh, bosses here kind of thing right we are all highly capable individuals and you know to to add one step further on like the leadership thing the extension of leadership in groups is culture high performance culture is a group dynamic that acts like leadership the group itself is accountable for these results now I'm coming back around to answer your question. I promise. That's okay. Love the uh, the mechanism that allows us to to iterate and improve and reach the performance that I just said that we are responsible for as leaders comes from feedback. That's how that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm sure in your your volleyball career, if you're working a drill. I don't need to know anything about volleyball to understand that how that process looked was in your mind and in the mind of maybe the team or the coach, there's a certain standard for what this this spike looks like and feels like and does. And then you go in your drill and you attempt this thing. And what you're doing is you're noticing deviations from that. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't feel good or it didn't end up right, the outcome wasn't there, you try it again and you make this adjustment. Well sports make that really easy life doesn't okay and so we need to be a culture that is almost obsessed with feedback negative feedback the sexiest thing you can do over there is give someone feedback and we've had to normalize that and and feedback ought to travel in all directions and so long-winded way of saying we've like built a structure that doesn't allow anyone to sort of like walk away scot-free. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. feedback uh, that's that's not only being passed around all the time, it's expected, right? And myself included. Mm-hmm. You know, the alternative mm-hmm. to creating structure like that and people in your life to give you that is to sort of <laughs> succumb to like our bias. And we're we're humans mm-hmm. and it feels good. To, to be complimented and it doesn't feel so good to receive feedback. And so unless we cultivate that, it'll probably just be easier for you to tell me the things that are good and maybe skip out on the things that are harder to to, to reflect back to me. Mm-hmm. So so we've curated the feedback that I need to receive mm-hmm. there.
1: I'm curious now, when in terms of giving feedback, your approach to that and making sure... People aren't jumping to be on the defensive and not Mm -hmm. feeling like they're being attacked. And like it really is a conversation and and a give and take in that and what you do to provide feedback, but also not, you know, hammer someone into the ground and make them feel
0: horrible about themselves. Totally. So I like to learn truths at the extremes. Okay. And so I think lots of industries do this. You know, I, I use the example like, Automotive industries. Okay. So Toyota has a racing team. They're on the edge. They're having to compete against all these other racing teams. So they're the rigor of what they're trying to do is just much higher. And there's some things that they may learn. I don't know. I don't know anything about cars, aerodynamics or some gears, whatever (laughs) that like trickles down that like makes the Corolla better. Mm -hmm. Right. It doesn't go the other way. Okay. So I want to learn how the best teams in the world operate and work backwards from there. Mm I'm not going to be inspired by like CVS. Okay. And so, what we know about the best teams in the world is that they communicate better. Right. And again, I wasn't, you know, at SC with you, but I I would imagine that the communication between teammates in a match was a little bit more uh, direct and helpful and like to the point. And effective than like any of like your first job communication. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So like what's that about? And and let me answer that for you. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Because I don't know. (laughs) Well, you do know it just hasn't maybe been like called out for you. Yeah. Right. What we need for adaptation, change, and specifically giving feedback, which causes adaptation and change, is high levels of trust and willingness, right? It's kind of like going to therapy. If you don't trust the thing and sure as hell, if you're not willing, nothing's going to happen in there. You're just going to spend a bunch of money for an hour, right? Yeah. But if you have like uniquely high levels of trust with someone, you can say things to them and they can receive it as like not an attack, for example. Same thing, willingness, right? So the willingness of, of your college career winning mattered a lot to that group, right? And so at some point you can just say like, I'm okay with it being a little uncomfortable for me to tell Kelly to like hit her mark in this way. And she's a little bit okay with me being direct about that because we care so much about this other thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And so you have to, to cultivate these two ingredients, like filter for them or, or build them up from nothing. And, you know, high level sports teams do this, the military does this, right? Like, what selection in the highest performing military teams is the probably the best example of creating this trust and willingness, right? They're literally trying to get you to quit. The instructors of, of these selection processes, yeah. they're trying to kill you in training because if you are unwilling to quit and you're able to do your job, then we can be friends and we can work together. And we can't unknow that we just did this process together. Yeah. Because if I don't trust you, then that means you go work with my friends and my friends die. Right? It's really extreme, but like, this is what we're learning. And so for us, it's not life or death, but we have artificially created a mechanism to build this trust and willingness. And, You know, without getting in the weeds of it, but it's it's this developmental program, right? Mm -hmm. It's just really hard to work there. You know, if you're like Johnny or Jane fitness coach, like you can just work at every other place before you could work there. Yeah. And that in and of itself is something that we can't all unknow. And it's just so hard that by the time we get through, I know that you want to be here more than any other place in the world. Mm -hmm. And now we can just have a conversation that other companies can't.
1: So is it hard for you to find the right kind of people that are willing to go to that level and have these conversations and be vulnerable and 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 get in that space?
0: It's totally hard, but I also I don't find them, you know. Um again, I don't want to I'm a civilian. I've never served in the military, so I don't want to be a poser, but like again, I'm just using observations when when the US decided to like do this war on terror thing you know, combat changed a lot and the special forces became really, really important, right? Regular, uh, rather than a regular foot soldier or something mm-hmm. like this, okay? Because just the way that the missions work or something like this. So basically you have the US government writing like a blank check to the military, right? We spend more money on this than freaking anything else, right? And they said, I want more Navy SEALs. Double them, whatever. Make a hundred more this year than you did last year and the world power and military wrote this blank check and you know what happened zero more navy seals are made because the process selects itself mm-hmm. right and so for us quite frankly most people quit a lot of people want to do the thing not a lot of people get in the thing yeah. and so it would be a little bit of like a cart before the horse if i was like running around the country or the city being like hey come work for us like the moment i'm begging you to do that it you know i'm i'm trying to motivate you maybe right mm-hmm. and so what i'm saying is um it's a, it's difficult to develop and enroll high level people but like that's how that works mm-hmm. you know they yeah. the, they're rare you know to to give up that process though would sort of give up the thing that makes us special
1: Mm -hmm. how has this manifested in romantic relationships for you in terms of leadership communication being vulnerable that openness
0: yeah so you know you i think we'd like to see skill transfer right you'd like you know it's like (laughs) wouldn't
1: we wouldn't we (laughs) nice. (laughs) what is that
0: and there's certain like awareness right like um it's like when you see a Hall of Fame athlete get out of their sport and then they like they're not even like healthy. Yeah. You're like, dude, like you're the greatest of all time. Like, like lock it up. You know, like <laughs> you know how to do this. Yeah. You know? And um yeah, for me, I've like I've been through it uh recently, heavy duty. Mm-hmm. And and I take a lot of responsibility for that. I think how that shows up for me is when when we don't protect ourselves, those boundaries as I mentioned earlier, energetically and uh, responsibility-wise, they can leak and affect other things. And unfortunately, I think uh, sometimes when you're really going for it in one category, it can be detrimental in other areas. I do know that the skill transfer part of being sort of like a blue collar individual, someone who's interested in how they might be wrong about something and and being developmentally oriented, I've learned more about myself and relationships far and away than through any other means you know? but it's all a mirror right like all of these are environments for us to to give us feedback you know and i it's funny I talk about baseball in that way it's like i I quite frankly not even a baseball fan, you know, but there's, there's rules. Someone made it up. It's like three outs, not four, you know, not two. There's first, second, third and home. There's not like a rant, you know, it it just decided, here's where we're going to put the lines. And then by making these rules, it gives us feedback and it alters our behavior. Same thing. You get in a relationship, you make some rules. And you try to do this thing to the best of your ability. And then like bowling, we sort of bumper bowling, we sort of bump against the edges and try to iterate and become a better version of ourselves. And I see, I see that. The level of complexity of relationships at the highest level, work at the highest level, sport at the highest level, um, surely will take everything you got. Mm-hmm. you know. And that's been, yeah, that's been my experience.
1: Does it feel differently for you giving feedback in a romantic relationship versus at work and playing baseball
0: and what that looks like? Here's the thing. I don't wanna like I don't wanna make uh I've been using like military references. I know. <laughs>
1: it's really funny. It's so brutal.
0: Um here's what I'll say. I am more committed than I've ever been in my life to surround myself. With people that that are extremely curious about how they can improve mm-hmm. and i I really value that and and it's maybe it's my own shit, so to speak, but I really get jammed up trying to deal with people romantically or otherwise that uh, aren't interested in seeing that mm-hmm. and um, and it, I'm just sort of like doubling and tripling down on that you know, one thing I've said about the company and maybe I'll say this about like my romantic life or lack thereof. Uh, you didn't
1: know you were coming on Loveline, did you? It's
0: okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I had a feeling. Um, <laughs> is like uh, uh, today is the easiest it will ever be mm, yeah. to work for me. And it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I think holding a similar hard line is the case when it comes to romantic relationships. And I've been like so blessed. I'm who I am today because of my romantic relationships as well. Um, and we're all kind of getting one step closer to coming home on that. Mm-hmm. You
1: know? I think one of the hard things that I've talked to a lot of people that are our age is that I feel like there's collectively a group of us that are really willing to do the work and we're knee-deep, waist-deep in this work and we're looking at ourselves and we're it's getting ugly and dirty and we're feeling the things and we're being mirrored and, and all this stuff is happening. But to find someone else that is willing to do that themselves and also with you, I think can be very difficult. How do you see that? And maybe it's not even with you, but people in your life or just you know anyone around us people that aren't willing to take a look, hard look at themselves and then you don't show up in relationship the way you can, the best way possible.
0: Totally. You know, there's a relative burden on that. You know, looking at yourself and 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 getting the type of feedback that would require, that you would have to have to grow mm-hmm. is by definition challenging. You know, and so... I think it's more of understanding that uh, there is no finish line in in this thing. And, you know, we got to be careful not to let that paralyze us and be like tragic. But once you pave the way for that to be okay with yourself and then mutually with someone else or a group of people, then it sort of like frees us all up. You know, I, I uh, I have this like observation about people. And it's funny, like we had a, a dinner party here the other day. It was right? amazing. And it's like dinner parties are weird, specifically ones like that, right? Like I kind of like curated this thing where these people like kind of know each other, and they're but they're all like kind of uh, high level people in their own way. But I'll tell you this: a hundred percent of people that go to dinner parties hope that it's great. No one drives to the thing, puts on the weird outfit to like be bummed out. Yeah. Now. If you go to a dinner party like this with a bunch of acquaintances, oftentimes it's not fun, right? There's this phenomenon where you have 100% of people sitting at the table wanting the same thing and zero of them get it.
1: Yeah. So and, true.
0: And that's just a lack of vulnerability. It's, it's mm-hmm. a lack of like declaring that it, this is okay. Mm-hmm. Because what's everybody doing? They're sitting there looking to the person next to them and the person uh, on their other side. And they're sort of like waiting for the fun to be okay. And because no one takes this vulnerable step or declares it or, or makes it safe to do so, everyone's thinking the same thing. No one's taking action. Everyone drives home and says, man, I wish that was fun. Mm -hmm. You know? And so the type of like vulnerable reflection, willingness to do the work in your words is it kind of like gives everyone around you permission to do it as well. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, uh, my friend Gabby says all, all the time, go first, you know, smile first, share first. And, and it sort of opens up that thing. Because I know that the dinner party that we had here, everyone at that table, including myself, wish, wishes things like that would happen. Yes. Right? Yep. That's kind of like what I said right? And the toast. is was like, mm-hmm. we're not here for a thing. I'm not trying to like swap email addresses with you people. But I think we all are rooting for a world where like this kind of thing is normal.
1: Yeah. Sit down at a table with a great meal. No one's on their phones and everyone's genuinely connecting and having fun.
0: But like, what? and and for sure. And that was a great group and I'm not talking trash about our group or whatever, but like- I won't
1: tell them, don't yeah. worry. They'll never hear <laughs> this. <right>. But like,
0: <laughs> kind of what do we do? We just like complain that that's not happening. Right. And, and I'm not like-
1: Well, we're waiting for you to have
0: another one. Well, that's it's right. It's on you. That's, well, <laughs> you and your tequila. That's right. That's right. <laughs> But and I'm not like uh writing my my uh role as hero in this thing, but it's sort of like um go first.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's
0: at seven, it's at it's on Thursday.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You'd be surprised how many people would show up to that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. Well, it was funny when when I was invited to it, I was like, damn, I've been wanting to do this for so long. Why haven't I done it?
0: That's it, right?
1: It's so silly and it's so simple. There was like eight of us here. It wasn't like this whole shindig that you had to like do a whole thing. It was like food and drinks and people.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Why is it so hard? Something that you guys message me about that you struggle with is what to buy at the store. So, if you're following an autoimmune protocol or somewhat of a restrictive diet in order to heal and get all the inflammatory triggers and foods out of your diet, what do you buy? I've been there. I was there for a long time, actually. And There was so many different pieces of information thrown at me and I didn't know what was right or wrong. And this is why I created our shopping list. And it has all of my favorite foods and products, many of which are AIP compliant, many of which are reintroduction foods that once you start reintroducing... These are some of my faves to have in the shelf as a staple. So if you go to kellytenant.com slash shopping list, you can download that for free today. And trust me, it is an incredible resource. And I'm pretty jealous that I made it for you and didn't have this for myself five years ago. How have you changed the people in your life? I talk a lot about um, detoxing your life and your relationships People that are no longer serving you, people that are no longer making you better, challenging you, bringing good energy into your life, we get to curate these "quote unquote" tribes that mm-hmm. make us better. How have you done that over time?
0: You know, I think I receive feedback that this is like a strength of mine, and and I agree. Like I think I am a product of the people that I'm around, and um, more times than. I could ever imagine in the last five years I've been at a table or in a freaking sauna or at a, an event where I'm like, how did I get here? This is ridiculous, yeah. you know. And that takes crafting, you know. Uh, there's a word I like to throw around. We need to be more discerning, you know. If anything goes, you know, you, you'll eat whatever, you'll drink whatever, you'll hang out with whomever. You're going to get an unremarkable experience, a result from that. You know, we need to be discerning about you know um, who we orient ourselves with and how we spend our time, and that's critically important to me. Because you know, as as someone who look, I don't think I I struggle with uh, you know confidence or something like that, but I will say that most of my life is driven from a place of I'm not particularly remarkable. I wasn't a particularly athletic person, you know, but I think we can like sort of hold the pen of our own development. Mm -hmm. You know, we can, we can affect change in that way. And I will say like far and away, the people that I'm around make me who I am. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most people I think will hear that and think that they need to be around folks who are like impressive or something like that. That's not what I'm saying. What Mm -hmm. I'm saying is like, Specifically, what you said: people that make you better, and that means people that are going to reflect back to you the truth. Mm-hmm. And there's there's always like two parts to the truth. Usually, we get the good part only. Mm-hmm. Now it's not the truth, right? Right. And so, um, not just great people, but people that will hold you accountable. Mm-hmm. You
1: know. And how do you go about getting out of relationships or separating yourself from people that are no longer
0: good for you? You know, just last week, I had a really hard meeting with someone who who I sort of separated myself from business-wise, friendship-wise. And I realized that maybe I don't know how to do that well. I don't necessarily know how do that without sort of like drifting away. To me, that feels like an acceptable way to sort of transition. You sort of just spend less and less time with someone and you're not disrespectful or whatever. But but the hole in that is is a mismatch of expectation. So this person spent the last 10 years thinking, resenting, worrying, judging what had transpired or what had, you know, the lack of connection between us. And so, yeah, I guess there are consequences there. I guess my my question to myself in that scenario was like, is it my responsibility to explain to people why I'm not, you know, uh, enrolled with them? Yeah, And I don't know the answer to that. You know, at some point... It, we, <laughs> at all points, we can only control what we can control, mm-hmm. you know? And so I sort of found myself wanting to do that better, but also, um, look, if you've ever coached someone in anything, I think you realize the most frustrating, one of the most frustrating environments you can be in is an environment where you want something more for someone else than they want it for, you know, for themselves. Yeah. And um, in that way, I think, it's fair to relinquish some responsibility for other people. Mm-hmm. I'm not responsible for other people. You know, I've got plenty of work to do. Yeah,
1: I know. Who <laughs> has know? time for that? <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: um, so that's tricky. Like I'm, I, I'm not an expert, Kelly, but I'll tell you what: honoring yourself, however that shakes out, is far and away more more critically important then making sure that everyone else is okay in all of these transitions. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think too, you mentioned something. It's like, I feel like so often in working relationships and in romantic ones, we fall in love with people's potential and we see the best in them and we see what they could be. Yeah. And then we try and make them something for us and then they don't live up to that thing. And then we're like, what the hell happened? Mm-hmm. It just... it. There's no positive that can come out of that. Mm-hmm. You have to let people be on their own path.
0: Yeah. That's that's so heavy duty and I'm not a parent, but um, Emily who who kind of like runs the gym down here and she's a doula and an amazing woman. You know, just had her, her uh, first child and even to the extreme of your own offspring, she has one of the most Progressive, beautiful perspectives on that that I've ever seen, which totally like jarred my worldview of the thing, which is that even her child is not like a part of her. It's not an extension of her. This child came through her. It's not a reflection of her. This is someone she lives with. Wow. You know? And so how freed up is she? She's not, I mean, she's going to parent it up. She's going to mom the hell out of it. (laughs) But also, you know, she's not personally responsible for this kid's grades or like whether the kid is a, you know, uh, grows up to be one thing or another thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, that like took my breath away. Like what, you know, I was so proud of her um, to like arrive at that place. But also, I just knew that I couldn't say that I believed the, the same about the people in my life. And I'm so guilty of doing this thing that you're talking about, which is, you know, injecting optimism in people and holding them to some sort of expectation that they haven't been updated on. Yeah. You know, I didn't give them a memo. <laughs> You know?
1: Facts, me Your expectations that's that I'm right. going to fail you at. I
0: think you're going to be great. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, but when you're not, I'm going to hold that against you.
1: <laughs> Damn, that's a hard one to let go of. Yes. It's so hard. How do you let go in situations where you don't feel like you have control? You want to control it, but you realize you can't. And yeah, got to let go because there's nothing left to do. Uh,
0: that... Well, caveat, knowing the truth about this doesn't make it easier.
1: No.
0: Okay, so there's that. Also, the only way I can stay sane about what you just said is the facts. And the straight up black and white truth is that control isn't real. Okay, and I, I speak a lot about this. This, this is a part of... It's been a part of my life since baseball and it's uh, I teach it now in in my like seminar is here's the the black and white truth about performance. There are some things that are inside of our control and others that aren't period the world that you live in and the world that I live in is uncertain period now given the the rules of the game by definition, the outcomes like you know how great your your podcast does how much money i may how many people join the gym how many home runs i hit or whatever is not in my control it's not in your control period so it just really pays literally and figuratively to spend every moment calorie effort on the things that are inside of your control and when you think about it and that level of rigor, it seems kind of silly mm. to waste any time over here on these things that are outside of our control. And that's the only way I can find any peace in that. And thank goodness that that's true. Because if it wasn't, then we would be insane people. Because uh, so much of this life is outside of our control. And that, and that introduces the, the, the sort of like paradox of performance, which is like, well, what do we want? We want results. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We want outcomes. Mm -hmm. Like when you set goals, I mean, you you know, there are some different goal setting styles that would, you know, align with, with process. But when I have goals in my head, they're not straight away process oriented. They're like, I want this. I want uh, a house. I want to open a new gym in this neighborhood. These are results. Like, by definition, not my opinion, that 's outside of my control, mm-hmm. and the only way that I can maintain any sanity around trying to get those results is just by doubling down on what 's in my control, mm. you know, and fortunately or unfortunately, that's the rules of our world yeah, you know
1: that's good. Connor and I were having a conversation before I came over here, and I thought this would be interesting to talk to you about so i was I was crying to him as I 'm processing something. And I said, I don't understand. I'm so happy, but I'm so sad at the same time. And so I'm like laughing and crying at the same time And he was making fun of me. He's like, oh, don't laugh. You're sad right now. You're not allowed to laugh. (laughs) And so we were talking about this idea of having two emotions at the same time and how we process that. And you can be going through something really great over here, but also really tough over here. I'd love to know how you navigate those moments.
0: That's a great question. So let me speak to this in two... Let me answer this in two ways. Firstly, developmentally, like our brain, our consciousness, our ability to understand. There's a certain level of understanding where we can hold two opposing truths at the same time. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people can do that. So the ability to see this sort of yes and framework is pretty advanced. That's that's where we all should be headed. Mm-hmm. Because a, a limited, a more regressive way of understanding is like either or. And I would challenge anyone who's listening to this to sort of perk up any time in their life that they feel they're in this place of like either or. Like, which is it? Mm-hmm. Am I happy or am I sad? Yes, and. Right. And so that level of understanding is just it's a it's a greater understanding of what's actually true and what's actually happening. The other thing that is sort of at play there, and this is what sort of came to mind when you said that because of your scenario, you're doing so many great things. Uh, but obviously this other emotion came up. And like here's the the kicker. And I, I think this is the next book, so I'm like <laughs> vomiting in my mouth as I say that. Um you're a high-level person, an achiever, yeah? And what that looks like is some sort of vision of how you want things to be. Mm-hmm. Earlier, I mentioned the, the spike of the. Am I saying that right? Yeah, that's a can, thing that happens. It is, yeah, it I sounds know,
1: like '90s volleyball. But yeah, I'm going to let right. you have I, that. Totally.
0: I, uh, you know, when people talk about shit, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, they're like two clicks off. <laughs> you know, you're like, you're gonna, you're gonna get a homer, and I'm like, all right, Kelly, shut up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, in that example, there's an image in your head of how that ideally, mm-hmm. idealistically would go, and then yep. you hit the freaking ball, and it's like two clicks off. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. That space between reality and, in our language, the standard or the vision is manifested as dissatisfaction. Mm. That is inherently ugh, right. And for some athletes, that ugh, makes them get back in line and go again. Yeah. Uh, most people who are kind of low performance people think that that is a sign that they shouldn't be there and they use it as a reason to quit
2: mm.
0: now what I'm getting at is built into your best life, your best version of your company, your best version of any relationship built into that is the space between idealism and reality. And that means that the happiest, most beautiful, successful version of your life and all the parts of it is going to include this little space of, of dissatisfaction And I think it's our relationship with dissatisfaction that will ultimately determine how close we get. Mm. Right. Because if every time I feel paralyzed or discouraged by Mm. things, not going the way I wanted them to go, then it's gonna uh, mean less opportunity to inch closer to that thing.
2: right?
0: You know, I, I use a lot of like examples of, about art. Right. And you know, I, I would encourage anyone who's listening to imagine that, you know, pick your favorite artist if you have one or, you know, any piece of art. Know that the person who painted it or drew it or took the photo or whatever is a little bit dissatisfied with what that is mm. in their mind with something else. And they probably got pretty close, but not quite there. Mm-hmm. And that is the most normal human experience to have. And you can be a multi-millionaire artist and like do the whole thing you could be Picasso and that experience includes that dissatisfaction Mm. and so I think the the reality check is in these moments is to realize like this is the most normal thing for me to feel and and that there's not uh, some other future alternative version of you that just would be crushing it all the time and have no dissatisfaction you know
1: Damn, but she would be so cool. She would be
0: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Love to meet her.
1: <laughs> next, next life. <laughs> That's right. Um, so transitioning into the book, yeah. now that it's done, <sighs> this is your artwork. That's right. How do you feel about it?
0: That's an awesome question because I just told Connor this as well, which is, what did I just tell you? Yes and, yeah. right? Okay. So uh, a lower caliber version of myself would say this is either a work of art bestseller life-changing text or it's a disappointment with 67 typos Mm. and lots of stuff that didn't make the final edit that I wish was in there Mm. and so on and so forth what I know to be true is that both of those things are true and so This stretched me beyond any measure. I I can't even describe to you in one episode of a podcast what this did to me. Also, it did pretty freaking well, you know, and it is doing well. It's great, you know. And so this perfectly sort of reiterates what I just said, which is that this book is not the book that I intended to write. Mm. That's really sad. I'm like, I've i cried a lot about this book, mm. you know, but it's pretty close. And when you vulnerably go for it and you get pretty close, pretty great things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I say this sometimes when people get upset or they want to like roll their eyes or whatever. I've never accomplished anything that I've set out to accomplish. Ever. I almost made the major leagues, mm. right? I almost like... Everything's a little bit different, but if you want to look at my life from a distance, you're like, owns all these companies, he's killing it, best-selling author, what is it? Travels the world, perfect? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Right, and so, mm-hmm. so if you're willing to to live inside of this reality of, I'm willing to fail, like more so than anyone I've ever met. I'm not trying to fail, I'm not a crazy person, but I'm willing to feel this this level of dissatisfaction, and I think that. That relationship frees us up to to give our best effort, you
1: know. When I was reading it, there's a line I'm going to botch it, but it was something along the lines of I I too struggle to live my best life every day, and I think to your point, people will look at you, people will look at people with success and say, oh, they've got it all figured out. Look at him; he wrote this book. It's mm-hmm. so amazing. He like has all the blueprint to success and happiness. And you're over here like, hey homie, I'm still freaking struggling every day mm-hmm. too. How important is it for you to still be in that place of, of humility and growth and not pretend like I got my shit together just because I did all these things?
0: Well, I'll tell you what, when you actually are in it, it's not that hard mm-hmm. because it's so real. Yeah. Uh, just the other day at that dinner, I was talking about this with the folks on like my side of the table, which is... We don't have a great understanding of success and failure. And stay with me on this, but it has to do with how we experience time. Okay. My life, I don't know about your life, but my life went in order, right? I was one years old and then I was two and then three, and now we're here. Okay. (laughs) Okay. My understanding of you is not in order. I just met you. Right. You're a baller, but you're like, oh my (laughs) yeah right true so just the natural way that we interact with each other is we don't get to experience people the same way we experience ourselves Mm. by the time someone's on your podcast the listeners are like killing it that's not their experience of their life right right and so naturally we are biased towards playing up other people's success and playing up our failures Like I know my failures really well. Yeah, You don't. Right. right? And so your perception of me is not correct. Mm -hmm. Right. I I guarantee you that your bias is to make me a little bit better or a little bit freer of my reality. Mm -hmm. Right. And my bias is to not really recognize the maybe quote unquote cool stuff. Yeah. Right. And so it's from that perspective that uh, I think if we truly understood that, more people would try more things. fewer people would would do this um this behavior I observe where quote unquote regular people want to make others special
2: mm.
0: right yeah well no like when when Kevin Hart does something, it's just slam dunk, give me an extra ten million kind of thing, mm-hmm. but that's not kevin Hart's experience, right but we all experience our own life the same way that i just just said in order full of failure full of ups and downs to where we're kind of like making choices on bad information mm-hmm. you
1: know damn that's so good how do you keep yourself from being hard on yourself
0: Whew, uh i don't um yeah. i'm very hard on myself mm-hmm.
1: or where do you draw the line i guess
0: yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I I think um I'm still learning that. Mm-hmm. This gets into like strengths and and shadows,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? So, for example, one of my biggest strengths is willing to to like do the work, so to speak. Right? I'm not going to make any assumptions that like I'm just gonna, anything's going to be easy and work harder than the next guy, kind of thing. Right? I can endure. That's like I think. So is that a strength or is that a weakness? Mm -hmm. I mean, it also has some shadows, major ones, like ones that have cost me like lots of heartache in my life, you know? And so my relationship with this idea of being hard on myself has really served me (laughs) for a long time. Mm -hmm. Now, the more responsible understanding of it would be to see that as a strength, but also have this kind of like insurance policy or this like awareness to be like, hey. Like, this is how this goes bad for you, right? Mm-hmm. Specifically, it's paid a lot of dividends to be the most in tune with the standards that I hold myself to, right? Like if I worked for someone that had higher standards for me than I had for myself, I we already know that we're going to be fighting and arguing and I'm going to be missing expectations. Yeah. But if every team, every relationship, every organization that I step into, if I'm the most upset at my failures, then it's really hard to fuck with me. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And that pays a lot of dividends, but you're already alluding to the fact that that pendulum can swing too far. Mm -hmm. You know? And so uh, just to speak to like my journey, you know, as I'm, I'm trying to bring the pendulum back this way a little bit to, to, Experience joy, to have fun, to find out like what, what's relaxing to me. Mm. Because in a weird way, if, if that pendulum swings too far towards what I would call strength, it can become a weakness. And in this phase of my life, I'm sort of working my way back from this thing that's become a weakness. Mm. You know, someone asked me um, two years ago, I started this like first ever bout with like depression. And I like, said, so what do you do? Like, what do you do for fun? Like, what's fun? And I was like, I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that question. And that's a scary place to be where you, I don't know, perform or achieve your way into a lack of awareness like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, um, I shared with Coach Kimmy, who runs this, uh, this like ice. Saw in a program at the gym, we were like doing ice baths, and I was in the ice bath, and I was like, "You know what's really tragic? And this is going to sound maybe dark, but um, it's kind of—it's very true—is lately I've been seeing photos of myself smiling, I'm like laughing. Like I just like spoke at this thing in Austin. And I'm on that thing. I'm like doing my thing, smiling, big old smile, and then pictures of myself, where I'm smiling. I don't recognize myself. Wow. And I was like. Dude, like, what? What do we got? You know, and I think what we got is a classic case of a strength that you you can lean on real, real hard, and with a lack of awareness can show up as this. It casts a big shadow, mm. you know, and there are consequences there. Mm. So, being hard on yourself can really serve you, but I think uh, being hard on yourself with awareness is maybe the best iteration of that.
1: Mm-hmm. So what does going right mean for you?
0: So going right is like a figure of speech that I made up because I wanted to, to bring clarity to this concept. And This book is a decision-making book, right? So decisions, I think we think of like a fork in the road. Going right is like one type of decision-making. Going left is another. To simplify, going right is self-respect. It's moving towards your peak expression. Maybe a corny version of that is your dreams, idealism. To the left is self-sacrifice, right? Is It's, it's um, a fear-based thing where you're seeking comfort and security and you're conceding your best self. And I wrote, I wrote the book uh, based on an observation that I had in that period that you asked me about before, mm-hmm. after sports. And I came out into the real world, quote unquote, and I observed that most adults were on like a full-time job basis trying to explain away and justify why they were completely giving up what they wanted with their life. Mm. Like ubiquitously, everyone is doing this. And it was so rare that, to do the opposite that we've made it out to be crazy. And uh, so I believe that most people, maybe who are listening to this, think they have two choices. And both choices are bad. One choice is the life you want. Pursuing your best self. And that's unreasonable. Illogical. Crazy. Setting yourself up for failure. That's door number one. Door number two is specifically knowing, having certainty and safety, which feels good about a life that you know you don't want. And based on the descriptor that I just gave, unless you're a crazy person, you just pick door number two. yeah, And then you get behind that door is a whole community of people that lock arms and they complain with each other. And they talk about how you can't blame us. And our hands are tied, and it's this sort of downward spiral thing. And so I figured that all of the reasons for picking door number one, like your best expression, are emotional. You know, like that's what a pep rally is. Get in the room, let's do it. You know, some speaker comes like, I want you to stay in school and you can be an astronaut. It's going to be awesome. you leave there, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm doing it. And then the emotion goes away. And then you're just there. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And we know that emotion is like a fleeting thing. It's not very sturdy. Mm -hmm. And that all of the pursuits that I know of that really express this sort of idealistic best self, they're just too long. And too difficult for an emotion to take you there. Mm. So I decided like, okay, I'm going to write this thing where we're going to take all the emotion out of it. And I want something to exist in the world where people could still give up their their best self, but they couldn't keep telling me that it was the smartest thing that they could do. Mm. right? And so the book then proves in a sort of objective manner that you are more valuable to yourself and your community, like mathematically by pursuing this this thing, your, mm. your, your dreams, what you want to do on this planet. And now these people can't unknow that. Mm.
1: When you talk to people that have read the book and I've seen and you post about it and I've talked to a lot of people that have read it um, and obviously your launch party was so fun, but what do you feel people are getting from this?
0: I think it's, um, this wasn't necessarily the intended purpose necessarily, but it's sort of like a passport to do the thing.
1: Mm.
0: You know, it's a permission. Yeah. You know, and because look, there's plenty of emotional reasons to do it. I mean, everyone who is uh, giving up, so to speak, and they're working a job they don't want to work and their lifestyle is one that they feel like they have to live, but they don't really want to live, all that. Emotionally, they they know. Like I I have a firm mm, hypothesis. We'll say that no one is born, lives a life, and dies without ever considering this. Mm-hmm. Like I think, I mean, for me, it happens a million times a week, probably. But I think even the person who's just like pushing it away, pushing it away. One time doing laundry, they're like, "Yo, what the fuck am I doing?" Yeah, at least once, right? And so I think. Deep down, we we know this, and so um, all I'm saying is that the emotional appeal to this argument just isn't enough. It's just not working. You know, if it was enough, one pep rally and we're doing it mm-hmm. right. You watch Rocky Four once, you're doing it right. But that's <laughs> yeah. not what happens. No, and eventually we we get in our head and we try to rationalize this. So if you want rational, I'll give you rational, and if I can prove to you that these like. Unique characteristics that you can only earn doing this thing uh then you would you'd be forced to realize that there's only one choice, mm-hmm. and um you know part of the reason why people are going on this sort of like bad model, you know door number one, door number two that isn't real is it goes back to what we spoke about earlier around uncertainty. Mm-hmm. we don't like uncertainty. You mentioned you like some control. Am I right? Yep. We all like a little bit of that. Yeah. Okay. Well, if we make out this sort of like best life, you know, this this idealistic pursuit, that's really uncertain. That's never going to feel good. And let me be honest with you, as the author, it's uncertain. You read the book, I don't know how it's going to work out. Yeah. I spent 20 years chasing a thing. It kind of didn't work out. Now, The other choice, the one that you're saying is safe, that's a lie. It's not. And let me double down on that. Not only is that also uncertain, there is nothing more fragile than resisting your best expression for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in like a job or a relationship or whatever. And then uncertainty happens, Mm -hmm. right? Your job goes away. Something happens to your health. The universe shifts your life. FYI, that's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. How fit are you to do the next thing now? You've literally spent decades trying to not address your best self. Mm -hmm. Right? And so the thing that you called safe is now the most dangerous pursuit you can possibly go on. Right, I mean, look, career is the easiest one to, to talk about. Uh, you get out of college, and then you pick your job based on like industry trends. Right, I'm going to be a machinist, you know, at you know Boeing or whatever, you know, and it's like great benefits and like the industry's trending and the company's huge and and all the stories we try to rationalize about why that's smart. Meanwhile, you don't give a shit about this thing. Well. 2035 rolls around and AI does your job or whatever happens and you've just literally marked time. You've, you've just showed up to work and tried to not get in trouble for 30 years. Mm-hmm. How unremarkable are you? Yeah. Right? And, you know, a lot of people will, will justify not doing this other thing based on it's simply not working out. And what I'm saying, and this is where this all started, is anecdotally, I knew that when I finished baseball that I am far and away more capable to do anything that I want to do based on how I went about that. Mm. You know, like I, I remember that calm that I mentioned. Complete uncertainty. I do not know what I was going to do. But also, I'm looking around, I'm like, this? I'm competing against these people? This is easy. And look, life's not easy. But I felt like that pursuit prepared me to do the next thing. Mm-hmm. And that it not, quote unquote, working out is, wasn't at all a, a reason to not do it. You know, I would do it a thousand times over, you know. And I think this is sort of very timely for people right now. You know, where we're, uh, our country is, the world maybe, I don't know if I want to generalize that big, we're largely un, unhappy and unfulfilled pretending this this other thing, you know, this safety thing. And I think, you know, if you won't do it for yourself, this is also in the book. It's like, I have to share this planet with you. We all have to do this together. I am completely uninterested in you, Kelly, shutting it down and doing the thing that you think you need to do. Like I need you to be the best version of you and shine, Mm -hmm. right? And and that's why I want to be around you and people like you, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, I mentioned that these these communities form, you know, because when you when you give up what you really want to do with your life, uh, you need to to sort of cope with that, right? So you get with other people who have done that and you complain together Mm -hmm. and you live this sort of downward spiral life together. Well, here's the good news. I've observed this on the other side. Is I used to think that successful people, maybe even like celebrities or something, they like hang out together because that's what celebrities do. And I've observed that's not what's what's happening. High-performing people naturally gravitate to each other across industries because they are supporting the vulnerability that it takes to do that thing. Mm -hmm. That table that you set out the other night, all of those people have almost nothing in common industry wise but you can look across the table at someone and just know that they are out there trying to make it happen and that there's a community of support there as well mm-hmm. and that you're not alone there you know and uh thank god you know
1: yeah thank god thank you for coming on yeah thanks for this having this was me. awesome you're I'm, so great
0: you're great And
1: congrats I, on the on the book it's really really great I, uh, I'm super excited for you. And I'm excited for everyone that gets to read it because I really do think it's something that can make a huge difference. And this really is about permission. And mm-hmm. we all need permission to step into our best selves and have people like you give that to us. So thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. I think we all have probably lots of people, but at least one person in our life that we really see something in. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, right? Like these people you see potential in. So like... Maybe don't like date them necessarily <laughs> yet. Just but this is like the book that you you gift to someone to mm. give them permission to do the thing,
1: mm.
0: you know. And um, I appreciate you for doing it. Thank you, leading the way.
1: Like I said, Logan is someone I just, I truly admire. And I'm so excited that he not only wrote this book going right, but he's willing to have so many conversations about decision-making and how we can communicate and get uncomfortable. And as we get uncomfortable, that's when the magic happens. And that's where Logan is now. And he has really stepped into this new place. And I'm, I'm so honored to be in his life and watch him during this time. Don't forget to find Logan at Functional Coach on Instagram. Pick up a copy of Going Right. If you go to kellytennant.com slash resources, you can find it there. Can't wait to see you guys in a few days in another episode of Ceremony Wellness. But in the meantime, have an amazing day and we will see you soon.